Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Bo Martonic here, back for another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. Day after turkey season opener here in Pennsylvania, it was uh, an interesting one to say the least. I decided to head out Friday night. The opener was on Saturday here and decided to drive out and uh, just one kind of remote area in, in the Pennsylvania wilds region and just set up the the truck tent. So I have that James Brood USA truck tent that did a podcast on a while back. Set that up. It goes up in about 60 seconds. Do my sleeping bag up there. Got all that together. Got my turkey stuff together, cooked up some dinner, went to uh, listen for some birds. Well, it ended up feeling like I was in the high country of Colorado before a storm rolls in with how windy it was. You, you couldn't hear a thing, and it was blowing some rain around, and, and actually ended up getting a little bit of snow overnight. But anyway, so I wasn't able to locate any birds you know, the night before, and woke up early in the morning was ready at the spot I was going to be, you know, hiking into. So that was, that was pretty ideal and was moving out towards this point. I had found some gobblers there. I actually talked about it on here was I called some in with my mouth like three weeks ago or so. And these birds, I didn't know where they were roosting at. Cause when I found them the last time it was about 11 in the morning. So it could have went a long ways by then, but I figured I'd go out towards this point and a little bit before the point, it kind of goes off into a saddle and there's some pine trees there. So I was kind of wondering if they'd be roosted in that, but really wasn't sure. So as I was moving out, uh, just kind of taking my time, didn't want to push too far in um, as it was starting to get closer to the point where they could probably see me. And I was moving in a little bit later than I wanted to, but I really don't know if I could have you know, navigated it without my headlamp uh, as I was pretty unfamiliar with the area. So... I don't know, it was about 20 after 6. I th- heard what I thought was a gobble. And again, it's so windy. I couldn't hear, a th- you know, much of anything. And so I pulled out a box call. I just got a new uh, Rocky Mountain hunting calls uh, box call in. It's all waterproof, so you don't need any chalk or anything. And uh kind of retired my old Primos that I loved that, that call. But trying out this new one. Hit it a couple times and right away double gobble. There was there was two gobblers there, but the one kind of sounded like it wasn't a full gobble. Maybe it was a Jake, maybe it was a two year old. I, I really wasn't sure. Which so I I I don't care about turkeys. I'll shoot any gobbler. Besides, I, I really don't like to shoot Jakes and try not to. Uh, I have nothing against anybody that does. I just my own goal and, and preference to shoot a long beard. So I just shut up at that point once they answered me once, knew they knew I was there, and I figured they had to have been close because if I could hear them in this wind, they were close. So I just set up just on the edge of the the ridge. I was on the very top of it, and it sounded like they were on the next bench down or maybe even a little bit below that. And next thing you know, within two to three minutes probably, I saw a white head come up over the hill, then a second one. I could see the second one's beard, and it was definitely a long beard. But the first one, just the way he was walking, I, I couldn't see. 
couldn't see it and I passed them they went through a lane about 60 yards out and uh, we're coming in on a string well the second one somehow disappeared in this process going behind a couple little jack pines and the first one's still coming in and he hit this opening about 45 maybe 50 yards and I have the bead right on his head and I can't figure out if he's a long beard he's just the way he was standing there it I, I couldn't see it and he was you know facing straight at me and just wasn't able to see it very good and so I just I just kept waiting waiting for him to give me you know I let him go through that lane which I was kind of kicking myself in the ass for but better safe than sorry I guess and he ended up going started heading back down over the hill because he came up he couldn't see where the hen was you know me being the the hen and went to back over the hill and I did catch a glimpse of his beard at that point when he turned and he it was a long beard as well so that kind of sucked but he they went over and they just gobbled their way away and I figured I'll you know I could come back for them later or uh my best bet was just to keep moving see if I could find some more birds so kept moving out the ridge a little further and something caught my eyes I was coming onto this flat and I looked off to my left and I saw a head of a turkey and I was like, all right, this isn't right. Why did this turkey not see me? And so I pulled up my binoculars and it was a decoy that was moving and like five feet behind him was this guy laying up against a tree, smoking a cigarette. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he fit the bill pretty good. So at that point, I don't think he saw me and I was like, I need to get out of here. So I just slowly kind of creeped my way the way I came in and I hiked back out to the truck. Guy must have came in from a different direction because I never saw his vehicle. But I uh, I got out, left, and drove to an, a whole other spot. And I just I was running some ridges and and calling, and I I couldn't hear a thing, even if there was something gobbling. It was so windy. But yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the first day you know experience there. It was it was good as I should have been done. Should have been tagged out there first thing in the morning but that never seems to happen for me anyway so i'll just keep pushing on here seasonal will go on uh further gonna try to get out before work for you know even a half hour if i can and that's about it so other than that some other news is uh i got to try out a saddle this past week i went up to nick burger and ali d'andrea's camp in uh about an hour away from where i live at in pennsylvania here and i had them on the podcast before and Allie's better known as outdoors alley um on social media and youtube but i was up there camp and they'd gotten a, a saddle by from tethered uh it was like it so basically if you're not familiar with a saddle it's it replaces like needing a tree stand so you take sticks with you as you would with the hang on stand climb up put a little platform down so you still have something to put your feet on but it's really small and then you're sitting from a harness that just goes around kind of your waist and your legs and it's almost set up like if you were rock climbing and you just lean into it but i've always been kind of really skeptical of it and just didn't think i liked that style well i messed around with it and it was really really interesting uh i think i don't know if it would work for all situations for me but I think it could be really good with, with a lot of practice, of course, and getting used to it and comfortable with it. 
So I think I'm going to get uh, Greg Godfrey, who's, I believe he's the owner of Tethered on the podcast to really inform me a little bit more about, you know, saddle hunting and try to see if we can, you know, drum up some ideas and like how you'd use it, especially hunting the big woods and some other things and benefits with it. So be looking for some more information there. And far as news goes, lastly, you have a few days left here to win the ebook from Team Bad Decision. So had these guys on the podcast a little while ago. Their their book is now out. You can buy the paperback copy online or the ebook. And we're giving away one of these ebooks to one person at random who purchases any apparel products off of our website here in the month of April. So, I mean, basically you have today and tomorrow to get on there, check it out, um, any apparel you like. We are fully in stock of everything except for the big decals right now, getting those uh, coming back in. But all the apparel's in stock. Check that out. The new hats, stealth hats, mountain buck shirts have been turned out killer and uh, been getting some really solid feedback on those so far. So check that out and... Let's uh let's get into the partners here of the podcast. So University of Elk Hunting, Corey Jacobson Elk 101. I'm in the process right now of figuring out what I'm going to do for my 2019 elk hunting plans. I did not draw New Mexico. So Idaho is kind of on my list and I, so I'm going through Corey's course. The first part was to, is talking about planning and scouting. So right now I'm in the e-scouting mode. You know, I think I have it narrowed down to a few units that I plan on going to and been really going in there looking for the, you know, the bedding cover, the food sources and the water. And I'm looking for those areas, which Corey goes through a really good explanation in this online course. But in addition to that, the course just covers everything when it comes to elk hunting, planning the hunt, during the hunt, after the hunt. It's uh, very beneficial. So if you want to check that out, uh, University of Elk Hunting, Corey's offering a 20% off code to all the East Meets West listeners. Just enter in code East Meets West at checkout and you'll get yourself 20% off that annual subscription. So check that out. In addition, Heather's Choice. Heather has been, uh, I've well, I've been using Heather's Meals now since the beginning of my backcountry kind of adventures um, from the standpoint of having gluten-free, dairy-free, healthy options that are full of fat and proteins that you need to you know, keep your energy up and and uh, build your body up for whatever endeavor that might be outdoors or traveling. And recently they just came out with some new packaging for their their popular packaroons, which is like a little coconut cookie. So they put them in single serving packets. And before they came in a two pack, which was cool. I'd always eat one, kind of seal it up, eat the other one later. Now it's just in real small, lighter weight packaging, single serving bags. Check them out on the website. If you're looking to purchase anything, enter in code East Meets West to get yourself free shipping on orders over $99. And if your order doesn't hit $99, still use the link in our website. Check that out. Helps uh, support the podcast as well. And lastly, Maven Optics. So Maven has come out with the highest quality optics from binoculars, rifle scopes, spotting scopes at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. And 
their glass is second to none when it comes to edge clarity, low light performance, and some other things. I've posted up some videos of the low light performance of my B2 9x45s. You have to check that out, or if you want me to send it to you, just let me know, and I'll uh, I'll get that over to you. So Maven's offering a code of East meets West dash gift. Enter that at checkout. Get yourself a free gift with any full price optics from their website. All right, let's get into this episode here with Christian Williams of Archery Strong. Thanks. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast, and I'm joined here on the line in front of me on the video call Skype, Christian Williams. Christian, what's going on, buddy? Thrilled to be here. It's uh, been a little bit of time since Bo and I have spent some time together and talked, and um, we've had some fun adventures thus far in our, our friendship, so happy to be reunited, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I met Christian down at uh, Bucks and Bows Archery when I worked there down by Pittsburgh. And uh, instantly Christian and I kind of, you know, hit it off. And, and, you know, people even joked that, you know, that we had a man crush on each other just uh, messing around. Because we just, we just got along really well. And, and that's saying something because not everyone gets along with me. And, but, <laughs> no. Understandably. Yeah, understandably <laughs> with my sarcasm. But uh, anyways, Christian and I, uh, we, we, I think it was we, through QDMA, I think is how we originally met. Yeah, that's right. That one night, uh, they got all the guys together when they were first talking about a branch. And, um, yeah, like, who's this, this weirdo tickling me with his mustache? <laughs> no, I was, truthfully, I was, uh, yeah, I, you know, when you meet somebody and you, you just click with them. Um, and, and that's definitely how it was. And I found it really interesting immediately. You were talking about where you hunted and how you hunted, um, you know, your claim to fame. And, uh, I just, I thought it was really cool. So yeah, I immediately wanted to learn more and know more. And yeah, we just, uh, took off. And it didn't take long for you to realize that I was completely full of shit and didn't know anything about it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but at that point you're already my friend. So you couldn't back out on me. Yeah, I was, yeah, you're in. It's like, well, crap. I guess I got to just stick around and deal with this guy. Yeah. So, and then we got into shooting leagues together, which yeah, was yeah. A, a complete treat. So Christian uh-huh. Christian won the whole league because he's a really good shot. And then there's me who's always partnered up with him. And I won the horse's ass award because I just uh, mimic the animal sounds of everybody that's shooting at it. So, yeah, that, that was always interesting. <laughs> I got to say, someone brought it up the other night, you know, how, how you and your animal sounds are missing this year in leagues. And um, I started to think about it. And this year, I'm shooting even better in leagues. <laughs> But I don't attribute any of that to to me getting better as an archer. I think it's strictly the absence of those noises in my ear, in the purring. Oh gosh! Yeah, whatever you you shot the the kitty cat, the the bobcat, yeah. I'd I'd make some purring noises and meowing and everything else in your ear. So like, if anyone that it takes. 3d shooting super serious you do not want me in your group because i'm that guy that that makes it interesting and and but it, we had such a good time we'd always yeah, have fun and us. head down to uh permani brothers after grab a couple beers and it was it was just a it was a great time i definitely miss miss that aspect of of not living there anymore that's for sure 
yeah yeah we had a lot of fun and i certainly miss you and i know the other guys do too where they were speaking of that as well yeah Uh, well who knows Uh, maybe i'll be down there again soon never know but uh yeah i kind of float around so you never know where i'll end up at maybe living with you and your girlfriend we'll see yeah yeah that'll be nice i'll let you know mate that'd be great (laughs) but anyways so christian yeah so now we got a backstory on how you and i met do you want to talk a little bit about kind of your background and and why i got you on the podcast here yeah sure so um my biggest love in the world is bow hunting and I have a strong background in fitness and sports performance and human performance. Um, I have a degree in exercise science, pursuing a master's degree as well. And um, the main thing that attracts me to bow hunting above everything else, you know, there's a lot of a lot of great aspects of it, but of every out of everything else, um, it is the challenge of the pursuit to outsmart an animal that's equipped to avoid people like you and me, right? Um, it's, it's the depth of the challenge and all the variables and all the things that you have to take into account to make a strategy to be successful and, and you know, ultimately putting an arrow into the vital organs of whatever type of animal you're pursuing. Um, so, that's very quickly over you know the past half decade become a love for me. Um, and it's also been cool to integrate my prior um, knowledge and interests and experience in the fitness realm and the human performance realm into bow hunting. You know, I'll never make the case that I think you have to be physically fit to do ba- basic style uh, of archery hunting. But I think just as in the general experience um, of bow hunting and what it means to be a capable, well-rounded man or woman, um, I think the the adventure and the pursuit of it wouldn't be given all it deserves if we didn't take into account, you know, your physical condition or um, the mental component or, or just that whole big picture of what that looks like. So between my background in, in fitness and, um, the love I've developed for bow hunting, that's been something that I've really been strongly pursuing. And I love the learning that, that occurs during it as I know you do too. And it's man, just what, what an awesome, um, adventure outlet that we have to, um, you know, refine ourselves as men and, um, refine ourselves as, as hunters and, um, the whole gauntlet. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a really good kind of, uh, overview of that. And then as, again, that's why I guess you and I get along. We, you know, believe in that from the the same standpoint and, and even from the fitness realm. And I've said this before on the podcast, I don't believe you need to be in the best shape to be a hunter, but I can tell you what, it doesn't hurt. That's for sure. You know, it it does not one bit for sure. No. And just, just an overall healthy lifestyle and longevity of being able to, you know, partake in, in archery hunting and, and, and just shooting a bow in general, which kind of, you know, leads into your, your business archery strong that we'll, we'll dive into here in a little while, but yeah. 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 Along those lines, just to brief those who are listening, um, I've worked in sports injury for 
uh, about four years. I've coached various types of um, weightlifting and fitness for the past seven, six, seven years. Um, and through that experience, I started to, to realize the need or the benefit that can come from injury prevention in archery and specific training for archery to become a better archer. Um, so archery strong encompasses that and, and offers some training in that realm. So again, we'll, we'll touch on that later, but that just gives you a little bit of a, um, tidbit or a lead there. Yeah. And it's definitely, and it's definitely, uh, a program that's way different than anything else on the market. And like I said, we'll dive into that, but just wanted to put that out there. It's, it's, it's different than just, you know, fitness and hunting. Yeah, um, sure. So sure. it's just wanted to, to clear the water there a little bit. But, uh, so Christian last year you were getting ready to go on your first elk hunt and you and I were doing a little training, you know, together, some, you know, physical training. We go, I got to go to your farm and, and do some, go through one of your famous workouts and everything. And, and, uh, got the lungs burning a little bit, um, but, uh, and then you were just, you know, brand new to it and decided you wanted to, you know, go out West and, and try out elk hunting. Do you want to kind of explain that process for me here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I had been really enjoying whitetail hunting and turkey hunting with a bow and, and groundhog hunting with a bow. Yep, that's that's right. You heard it correct. <laughs> um, I've been enjoying those things for for a number of years. And just based on the timing with where I was at with work and school and um, finances, I was in my basement working out one day and uh, I was like, what would be my reason not to, to go elk hunting this year or this, this coming um, September? Uh, I started to think about it and I just took off with the idea from there. Um, thought about what that would entail, what would it involve, you know, on my end. And, um, the number one thing that I identified was that being a first time elk hunter, not knowing much about it, I really wanted to go with someone that, had some really strong experience. Um, I wanted someone, you know, not necessarily a guide, so not a guided hunt, but like a family friend, a family friend that would take me under their wing and I could go with them. They could, they could teach me, um, you know, would likely have some gear and just be my, you know, my guide in a sense. And, um, started to look through, you know, some family friends, some close people that I had in my life that would be able to do that. And, I came, came up with two people and, uh, was a gentleman, my dad's best high school friend lives in Missoula, Montana and, uh, nice guy. I'd met him before I'd been out there fly fishing and talked to my dad about it. And he said, yeah, I mean, he, if you were to go with someone, he's absolutely the, the guy to go with. He, um, has, uh, three or four, um, llamas or alpacas? I forget which, which they use out there. I don't know the difference, so I can't even yeah. comment on that. <laughs> For personal, uh, llamas or alpacas, he's been, been hunting out there for decades. Um, a lot of experience. His son, you know, has had a lot of experience. So anyways, he, he was the guy to go to. So, but my dad said, you know, Hey, he tends to be a little bit, um, little bit loose with his plans. Um, not necessarily unreliable, but you just got to be careful, make sure you pin them down and get commitments from them. 
so I, I called him up and told him what I wanted to do. And I said, you know, Hey Scott, you, you know, you're welcome to take some time to think about this, to think about this is possible. If this is possible, I know I'm asking a lot. And he said, he paused for about two or three seconds. He said, nah, why don't you come out here, buy a plane ticket and we'll go elk hunting. I said, well, okay. You know, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. It, it, it was a little bit funky to me that he didn't really, um, put all that much time in thinking about that answer, but Hey, I, I was going elk hunting as far as I concerned. So, you know, I, I put into, to draw a tag, which Montana, um, isn't all that difficult to do. Fast forward a couple months, I'm, I'm training, uh, which, you know, we can talk about here in a bit, but I'm training, I'm shooting, I'm getting ready, etc. Um, and it's two weeks before I'm supposed to fly out to Missoula, Montana. And I'm coaching, at the CrossFit gym that I coach at, uh, part time. And I'm between classes and I go over to look at my phone and I've got a text message from, from this guy, Scott. And he accidentally sent me a text message that was supposed to go to his wife. And this text message was apparently a text that was involved in a, a marital fight that, that he was having. And the first of the the text message was, I will be canceling Christian's elk hunt. So I'm just like, holy shit, what is this? I text him, you know, trying to figure things out. Um, he's apparently having marital problems while he is elk hunting for himself <laughs> in the beginning of September. And, you know, eventually figure it out or eventually, you know, we get in contact cause he's in the mountains, hard to, hard to talk to him. And, uh, Eventually we talk, we go back and forth, et cetera. And, um, long story short, due to marital problems, he didn't, didn't do his homework. Didn't ask his wife, I guess, didn't <laughs> do, to do to get this hunt ready. And, um, I was canceled. That was it. So that, that's the, I guess maybe chapter one of, of the elk hunt, um, I'll give you a chance to respond to that or, or yeah. So that's, uh, <laughs> that puts you in an extreme low for one, Yeah, yeah. I, to, to put it lightly. And it's, it's crazy because I was on, I was elk hunting at the time when this all happened and you know, then I, th I think I was coming back from my trip on like the 14th of September or somewhere around there. Yeah. And I called you on my way home or something. I can't yeah, remember how that yeah. went. And you were like, dude, I'm not going on this trip. I'm like, what? And then you told me, and I just, my heart sank. I felt so, cause I know how much time you put into this and how much you wanted it. Excited. And yeah. But so that kind of leads in the chapter two. So what, what happened from there? Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously I was so excited for this trip. I had been putting a lot of tons of time. I mean, every single day training with my pack train, you know, having a ton of fun with the style of training that I was doing that I felt would best prepare me. Um, shooting every single day, I had been accumulating the equipment I thought I would need from pack to archery, archery equipment to clothing to, you know, camp stuff, all that. And, uh, you know, here I am, you know, shit out of luck with this trip. Um, so, you know, I made, made some efforts to, reach out to a, an old, old, old guide friend I had out in Montana. Wasn't going to go. My sister's boyfriend reached out to his dad who knew some, knew some guys wasn't going to work. Uh, it was just, it was just too late, you know, two weeks before the season, it was just too late to make anything work. Um, but 
one of my dad my dad's other best friends his name is um his name is chris chris has a son his name's shane shane is also one of my best friends um they actually own 700 acres out in uh wyoming it is east of casper wyoming and this 700 acres borders the Medicine Bow National Forest, which is 35,000 acres of public ground. So um, anyways, great friends of ours, they, they heard or I think my dad may have mentioned to him that my hunt got canceled. And they were going out to uh, Wyoming to elk hunt 10 days or so uh, from the time that uh, they heard. So one of the most generous, gracious offers I've ever received, uh, Chris reached out to me and said, you know, Hey, I heard what happened with your hunt. Um, unfortunately you won't be able to hunt with us because you won't be able to get a tag, but we would love to have you come along with us and, uh, have you for the, the eight day trip, the six days of hunting and have you out there. You'll get to do absolutely everything with the experience except for draw and release the arrow. And, um, at that point I was, was unsure of what I wanted to do. I was unsure if I just wanted to stay home, um, whitetail hunt early season here in PA, um, save some money, but through talking to some different people, um, my girlfriend was a big influencer in encouraging me and I decided, Hey, yeah, I want to do this. What I was ultimately chasing for this was the experience, not, not the, you know, Instagram picture or not the, you know, hoisting my bow up in the air after a kill, but I wanted to learn. I wanted to set myself up with somebody so that I could learn for the future. You know, like I said, my main goal was to get underneath, um, somebody's arm and, and, you know, have me, sh- have them show me the ropes. And this was the second guy that was on my list, um, for, for people I would love to go with, um, He's Chris is the most knowledgeable hunter that I uh, I know uh, when it comes to whitetails, turkeys, elk. Just a f- phenomenal hunter, phenomenal guy, phenomenal family friend. He uh, he, he built our house uh, when I was a little boy. My dad's been friends with him for a a while. Anybody listening on video, my dad killed that white tail that i'm pointing at there um on his actually we won't the video can't uh it doesn't record the video so they won't be able to see that (laughs) but my dad dad, uh uh has hunted with him in some different states but anyways just great guy great great, uh, family friend and that's what led him to to make me this offer which um was just absolutely awesome yeah and then so you just if within 10 days you're like you know i'm going did you have to buy a plane ticket or were they driving out yeah. So yeah, within 10 days I had to get my shit together. They, um, were flying out. So I bought a ticket, not on the same flight, but I uh, was able to fly out same day, uh, within a couple hours and land within a couple hours. And, uh, man, it was just, it was a, a whirlwind throwing it together, but I had everything I needed. I just needed to get my mind right. Really. That was just the biggest thing was get my mind right for, what the experience was going to be. It was going to be a little bit different than I anticipated, but yeah, what, what was in store for me, I couldn't have asked 
anything more. I mean, I'll, you know, flat out, flat out say that 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 week was the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life up to this point. Yeah, that's and it's so tough to be able to explain that like from someone that hasn't done it. But anyone that's listening that's went through, you know, their first elk hunt or really anyone that had an amazing experience, they get it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's so hard to explain though. Like when I try to tell people that my first hunt out West, even though, you know, we didn't come home with anything that it changed my life. It sounds dramatic, but it's, it does. It you does. Know? And, and it's, but it's, it's true. It's, it's amazing. So what, what kind of, what kind of experience did you have there in Wyoming hunting with, with Chris and Shane? Yeah. Uh, an incredible experience. That's what I had. <laughs> this, this area, um, that we hunted, I, I can't speak a ton to the details cause I don't know, but I do know that to draw, uh, an archery tag there takes, I think the number was like seven or eight years. I think as it stands now, it takes seven or eight years. Um, it's known for some, uh, phenomenal bulls, uh, good elk population, so we were going to a great area. Um, so we, we flew out. Um, we drove for a while. Um, they own a, it's an old cabin. It's actually interesting. It's an old cabin, a, a, a fine cabin, you know, for talking about being out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but this guy built this cabin as a, um, a doomsday shelter is what this cabin was. It was as far out as this guy could possibly get so that he could have a place to go in the case of a doomsday, I guess. So, um, Chris bought this, bought this place and, uh, took about 45 minutes on a very treacherous, uh, sketchy road to get there. Um, but you know, we drove in, we got set up in this little cabin, so no electricity. Um, but it did have running water and it did have a roof, um, you know, no heating or anything like that. But, you know, just even just having that was phenomenal, you know, to be able to sleep in. That was a, a luxury, you know, I don't have much to compare it to, but from what I know you've done and from what other elk hunters have done, it was an absolute luxury. So, you know, I won't make the claim that it was, you know, a brutal, a brutal living situation or anything. Like that. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'll be upfront. I slept in a bed for, for those six days, which was just glorious as you can imagine after, you know, the long days that, that elk hunting off. Oh, heck yeah. That's, that's like, that's like better than gold right there. That's great. Yeah. And you know, what was so cool is that, um, you know, basically how this worked is, um, those, that 45 minutes on the dirt road, uh, drove through a, a cattle ranch. Um, so you kind of have the cattle ranch, then you hit, uh, the 700 acres that's personal, personally owned by, uh, Chris. And then surrounding that is the medicine bow national forest. And then another one that I forget the name of. Um, but basically we could, we had two options. We could either walk out the front door and start hunting, um, the 700 acres of private and then the 35,000 acres of public, or we could drive to different parts of that 35,000 acres of, um, public. So we had a ton, a ton of options. I mean, a ton of versatility. Hey, if we weren't, if we weren't on, on elk in one area, weren't hearing any bulls, we could bounce over to another area in the same day. Um, which was just, again, a huge luxury. 
Um, but the, the very first day, uh, was an incredible day. That very first day we saw seven different bulls. <laughs> um, we, oh, my dogs are running up in here now. Um, we saw seven different bulls. Um, didn't hear, didn't hear many bugles, heard a couple. Um, that morning we, we came up, uh, onto a ridge, kind of a little bit of a plateau on the top of a ridge, kind of an open area. Um, and just very quickly saw three smaller bulls, um, about 150 yards away. We weren't able to get onto those bulls. Um, covered a ton of ground, you know, as you know, how that works, covered some grounds. We, um, got were you doing a lot of bugling or were you just trying to glass them up or yeah we were doing a lot of bugling a lot of bugling not not uh not many bulls responding though um so we were just covering ground and um after that first encounter um didn't have much going on until the early afternoon we started going into some bedding areas some dark thick timber and um i'm trying to recall this we were walking through some dark, uh, some some dark thick timber. Early in and early afternoon, and very quickly, we came upon um, a bull that I didn't see, but Chris was leading, and he said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" And about fifty yards ahead, he could see some tines of a, a bedded down bull in this timber. So um, Shane and I stayed where we were at. Chris drew back a little bit. Um, to cow call, I believe, if I recall correctly. And um, that bull kind of circled up above us and he ended up um, busting us. And um, that was it for that bull. It wasn't a half hour later that we kind of were working through the timber. We came up onto a little bit of a meadow plateau area. Um, and we're standing there just BSing, kind of um, thinking about what we want to do next, they're facing down the mountain from me and I'm looking up the mountain and all of a sudden I look up and I say, big bull, big bull standing there at 60 yards is, is a really nice bull just standing there. And, um, just like that, he, he went at us and he was gone, but that was so cool. I can just picture that so perfectly in my head, just popping out from, from behind a couple pines on this ridge he um, was just standing there, just larger than life. Uh, just absolutely incredible to see see him that close. So that was a really, really cool encounter. Um, hunted a, f- a few more hours into the afternoon, and it got to be around 3 o'clock. And, um, you know, we had been working through bedding areas, basically just waiting for these bulls to get back on their feet. And um, about 3 o'clock... We have about another hour or so until we figure that these bulls are going to be on their feet. So we're, we're probably on the upper two-thirds of this mountain. We're on the on the public ground at this point. Um, and we're on the upper two-thirds, and we're, we're walking along, and we see a pretty good trail, pretty good elk trail on you know, two-thirds up the mountain. So Chris says, you know, hey, why don't we um, – we'll sit down here, and well, let's eat lunch, and let's just wait for an hour um, – and then we'll, we'll get up and we'll start bugling. We'll start glassing. And, uh, so, you know, you figure if you're going to sit down, you may as well sit down in an area that has some pretty good sign that looks like 
could El- have some potential. elky terrain. <laughs> elky that looks a little bit elky, and um, so we we sit down on this <laughs> we sit down on this trail, and uh, I'll never forget it, forget it as as long as I live. Chris tells his son Shane, you know my friend. He says, "Hey, put an arrow in your bow just in case." What does Shane do? Does he it does put not. An arrow. <laughs> oh, of course not. Why would you? You know. Yeah. And we're sitting there hanging out. I think I was eating some peanut butter balls my girlfriend had made, and you know, Mister Cassock's just taking in the sights, calcon a little bit. Shane's laying back on his backpack, so he's flat on his back, doesn't have his bow. And via his sense of smell, Chris, before he saw it, smelled this bull. And as soon as he apparently smelled this bull, this is a part I'll never forget. He he turns to sh- he turns to Shane and he says Put and he the the most intense whisper I've ever heard in my life. He says, "Put an effing arrow in your bow. Here comes a bull." And as soon as that last syllable came out of his mouth, at 25 yards, there's a bull standing on that trail, staring at us. Oh, trying to figure out where that elk call and where that cow call was coming from, just staring at us, and we're all just frozen. The wind's blowing right at us from that bull towards us. So wind's perfect and it's fairly strong. And yeah, you can smell that bull for sure. But Chris smelled that bull. And um, <laughs> as soon as he said that, that bull's just standing there. Like, where's this cow at? And we're, you know, we're frozen. Five minutes go by. Bull hasn't moved. Ten minutes go by. Bull hasn't moved. Staring at us from... 25 yards 15 minutes go by bull hasn't moved i mean it is we are just absolutely locked down like just staring and um i you know we weren't talking at all so i didn't know what the thought process was this was a nice bull it was actually a six by four um six the side of six was really nice beautiful these the the side of four um was really unique it more so came out of the base more so came out of this bull's forehead like took a 90 degree turn so that it would travel back like a a normal side would for for an elk um didn't have any eye guards but had um one big tine and then had like a really cool it almost looked like a trident um -hmm. at the end at the end of the antler there so a six by four and again, we weren't talking, so I didn't know the thought process, but uh, Chris didn't think Shane was going to shoot it. Um, and I'm sure Shane was thinking about it, you know, while while we were in that, that stalemate with that bull. Yeah, you had some time to think, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's so what was so unique about that is like, you know how if you're whitetail hunting or you're elk hunting, like you've got a big buck, you've got a big bull come up on you like that. And like you got to compose yourself identify the situation, think about what's going on all in a matter of seconds. Well, I mean, heck, you know, Shane had 20 minutes or so to, to think about this, to think about what, um, he wanted to do and what was, what, uh, he needed to do to execute here. So 
you know, I think he eventually did decide that he wanted to take this bull, but he's flat on his back. He doesn't have an arrow in his bow. <laughs> this, this bull is just, I mean, just like a statue. It's just unbelievable, you know, going past 20 minutes of just standing there. So we were amazed with what that bull let Shane do. Um, he, you know, obviously moving very slowly, very slowly knocked an arrow very slowly started to sit up very slowly start to turn you know he's sitting on his butt with his legs out straight started to turn a little bit to get into um a position to shoot sometime around the 20 minute mark 25 minute mark that bull took a couple steps so that the whole time he was quartering at us really hard. I mean, he wasn't fully frontal, but he was quartering at us pretty hard. He took a couple steps so that he was still quartering towards us, but um, starting to expose himself more. At this point, Shane is now sitting up with his bow in his hand, and he's ready to draw. Again, the bull let him do that. The uh, Sometime around the 25-minute mark of this bull, it's just unbelievable to talk about now out loud. <laughs> sometime around the 25-minute mark, this bull took a few steps so that still slightly quartering, but now his his lungs were exposed, no brush in the way. And when he, that bull took those steps, Shane drew. And... Um, you know, it was a really tough position to, to shoot. You know, you're on a, a downward slope. Um, Shane's kind of leaning to his left on his butt, legs out straight. Um, but, you know, he's at full draw and he releases this arrow and thump, nails. Bull takes off and he's running down through the timber. You know, he de- Shane definitely hit him. We weren't really sure where. Um, definitely hit him bulls running, you know, crashing through some stuff and like you and, you know, like some of the, some of our listeners here, you hear that, that difference between when an animal's just running through the woods and then when an animal's crashing, right? Especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, a 800 pound forest horse prehistoric forest horse right with with trees coming out of its head right you there's definitely a difference there and i didn't have any prior elk hunting experience um but i've heard a lot of whitetails crash and we listened very intensely for you know a number a couple minutes and i without with limited experience i really felt that that bull had crashed just from what i had heard now there's nothing wrong. There's nothing against or nothing wrong with you know being conservative and saying, well, you know, I don't know if he really crashed. Not sure what we heard. So I definitely commend them for that. But I, I was confident, and um, with that, with the uncertainty of not knowing where where Shane had hit, um, we waited. We waited every bit of a half hour to even go look at this. Look at where he hit. You know, it was only a 20, no, it might've been a 28 yard shot. I think it was 28 yard shot, but, um, we, we waited every bit of a half hour, even to just go look at the site. And then we waited a little bit more time after that. So I think it was about an hour that we started to look and they started to find blood 
And um, I'm colorblind, so I will very quickly admit that I am total ass at blood trailing. Um, uh, up until this season, I have thankfully never had to blood trail a whitetail. Um, I've killed two bo- two turkeys with a bow, and they've died within feet. Thankfully, I've never had to do it. Maybe that's my obsession with becoming um, the best archer I can be. But I cannot blood trail, so I wasn't even looking for blood just because... There's no use. I can't see it unless I'm on hands and knees. I, I'd be screwed at that, at that point if I yeah. if I couldn't blood trail. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. I'll tell you what, it's rough. So instead of blood trailing, I'm looking through my binoculars, and um, we're slowly – they're working along the blood trail. I'm slowly um, slowly looking you know, through the timber, and I see a big, big light brown blotch. Uh, ahead of us, maybe 75 yards. And I don't say anything because I don't want to give him a false, false report or anything, but we go a little bit farther, a little bit farther. I got my, my binos on, um, what I think is this bull. And we get to a point where I see antlers. I see, see the head and I see, you know, the body and the legs. And I said, I said, you know, Hey guys, dead bull. And they looked at me and, you know, they kind of perked up and I said, yeah, I can see him here right through my binos. So, you know, they pulled out their binos and they looked and they said, you know, I don't see him. I don't see him. And there he is. So, you know, we were certain that bull was down. We went up and, um, it was awesome. It was, it was, it was really cool, um, to not only come up on that bull, but just to watch, um, Shane, you know, and his dad, come up on that bull and have that moment together. You know, that's, I know it's, you have a good relationship with your dad and and I do with mine and just sharing those hunting memories. Um, so to be able to witness that, especially cause Shane last year had wounded a bull on the first day, just like the hunt we were on. So I'm sure there was a lot of uncertainty and, and nervousness there. Um, but yeah, just watching that, that, that was just so cool. I'll never forget. Um, Shane, Shane was, you know, looking at his bull, you know, kind of moving the antlers and, uh, and his face was, his face was relatively, um, blank's not the right word, but just wasn't showing a ton of expression. And, uh, it wasn't until he looked at his dad and, and his dad said, his dad said, good job, Shane, you know, awesome bull Shane, his face just lit up. And it was just a really cool moment to see, you know, how I've, I think all of us guys want um, approval, you know, from our from our dads or, or from our fathers. And um, w- especially, you know, with Shane and, and Chris, but, you know, probably for a lot of our listeners and for you and I, um, what a monumental moment when you kill a, a nice bull elk or any bull elk with your bow, with your dad there. I mean, I can't think of many other things that would be the climax of making your dad proud. You know yeah. what I mean? I just, I can't think of, of many other things in, in, in the high mountains of, uh, fire Canyon, Wyoming, Shane takes down a nice bull with his dad right there. Yeah. It was just awesome. Um, so that, that, 
that was the the hunt and the kill and that was just all the first day uh, my goodness it was just Jeez. yeah it was an incredible first day talk about a terrible representation of what elk hunting with a bow is like right day yeah yeah no, what you're saying though just to kind of recap about like that that experience you know with your father it was um for me that was my first archery buck that that i killed um my dad i i was out by myself and i missed like two or three deer uh, literally this is no joke like nice bucks and everyone just kept saying you're so lucky like how are you doing this and i had this spot i'm like i'm telling you this is like the rut zone i had to take hip waders across this creek and go in there and my dad's like you know what? i'll go with you it's the last day we go in and my dad climbs a tree behind me and I use my climber and go up the one tree. I'm sitting over this scrape on this railroad grade that runs next to this creek. And like half, or 45 minutes before dark, I just was doing some blind grunting and I heard a, a grunt back and come running up. I hear crashing coming through. This buck comes out. I mean, hits the scrape. I knew it was 25 yards on. I drew, I shot. And when I, after having all these bad shots because I couldn't control myself, I was never more focused and I watched that arrow just bury behind the shoulder. Perfect. And I just turned around to my dad and just gave the double fist pump. And I was like, I, I just like, I had to hold <laughs> on to the tree. I was going to, I was going to fall out. Yeah. And you know, he got to see that we didn't see the deer crash, but he didn't go very far. And it's, it was, um, uh, one of my biggest white tails in Pennsylvania, even today, my oldest one. And I remember that picture. Yeah. That, that old one from high school, you know, it was, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. that eight and a half year old chocolate rack, you know, white tail. And, yeah. And awesome. that, that experience was like, and I'm sure like, you know, he was extremely proud of, of getting to be there with it. You know, I didn't really understand the significance of it at the time. You know, I mean, I was young, I was in high school and stuff and, 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 uh, but I'm, I'm sure it was that way. We had to, you know, float the deer across the creek to get it back. Yeah. And it was just super cool. But yeah, I just, just figured I'd add that little piece in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just incredible memories. I mean, I think. I think something like that sticks with you forever. You know, that's, that's something that's just monumental in a man's life and a boy's life for the father and the son. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether we're talking about elk hunting or, um, talking about, you know, your whitetail kill there, or when you were talking, when you were talking, I, um, was just thinking back to a memory I had with my dad on, I, this just really sticks out to me. You know, my dad's been proud of me throughout my life, but I'll never forget this. I don't know for one. what, but sorry. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I don't know, but I've lucked out. Um, but I'll never forget. We were in the, um, we were down near Seven Springs, which is just outside of, or just uh, east of Pittsburgh, um, along the Appalachian Mountain Belt, and uh, we were four wheeling, and there was like a foot of snow, and my dad was leading up ahead with, um, I think my my mom on the the four-wheeler and i was behind him with one we're going up this really challenging ravine with deep snow and everything and i just i guess i put it all together with you know throwing it in four-wheel drive and i was young so i was you know not the most experienced but threw it in four-wheel drive and used the locking differential stood up got on the front end of it really trying to plow the front wheels down into the snow to get through and you know flying up this hill up to my dad and I can't remember what he said, but I just remember him, you know, saying awesome job or he was really proud of that or that was really cool. 
And uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll never forget that. Yeah. It was really yeah, because that's like, you know, something that like you you teach, you know, I, I remember like when I was learning four wheelers, my dad be like, oh, you know, you lean into the hills or you do this yep, or that, exactly. you know, and he's like, all right, it, you know, it worked yep. out. And the only, yeah. the only sad part about that story is that's the last time he was proud of you. Yeah, I know, man. That was like, what, <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> Oh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a conversation with me and you if it wasn't, uh, digging into each other. So no, yeah, never. I, I try to be nice to you, but you're just a jerk back. So I, <laughs> no, I, I roll with it. I can't help it. It's just, oh, no, it's just but, who I am. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so you got to bowl down at this point and did you help in the process of breaking it down and quartering it to pack it out? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was kind of like the side guy. I didn't do, um, I didn't do any of the quartering myself. They, they handled that, but I was filling up, um, the game bags with the meat and everything and, um, getting that already. It didn't use my Gerber knife though. So I was an important part of that process. There you go. You were, you're the secretary or the assistant, assistant surgeon. Right. There. Yeah. So we got everything packed and, um, I was, I was running a, uh, a stone glacier pack that I was really happy with. Shane was running a Kuyu pack. Um, and Chris, if you knew him, you would know that he was running a 20 year old backpack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, we figure, we figure that Shane and I had about 80 or 90 pounds on both of our backs, uh, between the, I had all meat, which was comfortable. Shane had, um, the, the head and antlers as well as some meat. And then Chris had a little bit of meat and, uh, like I had mentioned to you, we killed this bull like two thirds, um, the way up this, this mountainside. So we had about pretty constant movement. We spent about two hours, hour and a half, two hours, um, packing this bull out. So I don't know the distance. It was a couple miles. It wasn't anything crazy. Um, but I sure as heck felt we both felt the, you know, 80 or 90 pounds on our backs. And, um, that was, man, that was, it was a tough physical challenge, but just such a, uh, a monumentally rewarding, rewarding. Yeah. is a great word for it. I mean, just the culmination of, you know, the hunt, the adventure out there, the hunt, killing this bull, packing it up, quartering it out, pack, packing it up. And, um, it's just like, it's, it's like the, uh, I don't know. It's like the, the victory walk, you know, after the win yeah. or something. And it was just so cool. It was a beautiful day. Um, just reminiscent as we're walking and talking back and forth and, uh, was just a, a ton of fun. And what was cool is we were racing daylight, which was neat. Cause he killed this bull. You know, we, we didn't get to it until like four thirty or so, you know, quartering it, packing it up. It was like five thirty. It was going to get dark at like seven or seven thirty, I think. And so we were racing daylight. And I mean, at this, we, uh, that morning, I think I had mentioned, we, we walked right out the door and started hunting. So we were just walking back to the cabin and, uh, we truly did not have a, a, an ounce or a speck of daylight left when we hit those back doors, it was just perfect timing. So it was really, really cool. Yeah. What a comfortable 
position to be in as far as like when you get back though to know you're at the cabin like you know you didn't even have to just get to the truck and have to drive back or or you know to a tent or anything like you get back to this cabin and you can unload and just be like yes 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 there was you know there there was a little there was some food there and you know yeah to get back to that the comfort of the cabin was awesome um what was really cool and i want to mention it before i forget what was one of the coolest parts about this hunt is we had flown out there and Shane and and Chris weren't all that concerned with, um, with keeping the meat for themselves. So what we did that very night, as soon as we got back, we took all of the meat except a little bit of the back strap that we were going to have for dinner that night. We went to, Um, We took all of the meat and Shane and I and this little pickup truck drove 45 minutes out of um, the mountains on that that, uh, risky dirt road to the rancher's house that Shane and Chris are good friends with. And we got there and we hung up the meat and we talked to him and we said, you know, explain, you know, the situation, the hunt and everything. And and Shane and, and Chris had made the decision that they wanted to give the meat to somebody who could uh, really utilize it and enjoy it and, and really needed it. So the rancher did some some um, talking and uh, some phone made some phone calls, and they found a local family. The rancher found a local family where um, the father was struggling and fighting. Um, with Alzheimer's, or not Alzheimer's, I'm sorry, um, with Parkinson's disease. And the son also had um, a very difficult illness that he was dealing with. And we were able to donate 99% of that meat to that family, um, which was just awesome. You know, from the perspective of, you know, we were so blessed that day with that hunt and with the experience to be able to give back to somebody and give, give to someone in need, especially because, you know, we went out and we did the work and we put, put in all the time and the effort. Um, that was just such a cool experience. And, you know, there's, you know, a few things I think that could be of more value than that with, with that meat. So that was really neat, you know, to, to harvest an animal that, you know, God created and, and give it to, to some people that, that needed it. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's a good, good ending to it. As far as, like you said, when the rewarding part of packing it out, I'm sure that even added to that rewarding feeling, being able to, you know, like you said, give to that family, which I'm sure was extremely grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. It was really cool. And I commend, you know, Chris and Shane for doing that. They, they didn't even think twice about it. Didn't mm-hmm. even think twice about it. It was, it was really neat for sure. That's good. How was the backstrap that you had? Oh man, just phenomenal. We fired up this this old old grill that this doomsday prepper had had at the cabin that he left there. Fired up the grill, cooked it under a headlamp. Sat down at the uh, the kitchen table there in the cabin with Shane and Chris, and um, you know I asked if I could say a little prayer, and so said a little prayer and dug in, and it was just phenomenal and we by the time we ate it it was like 
it was every bit at 10 o'clock, I think, um, that we hadn't eaten any food or anything at that point. We had made that drive out to the, um, the, uh, rancher's house and driven all the way back. Well, that, that damn bull ruined your lunch. You know, yeah, you're in the yeah, process right. of eating and he I'm came in. The in. Middle of peanut butter balls and a, <laughs> a stinky bull on the trail looking at us. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, it, oh man, it tasted phenomenal. I mean, to, to be able to consume an animal that was thriving in the mountains of Wyoming a couple hours before that and be able to eat it right there was incredible. Yeah, that's that's so cool. Yeah, the, the crazy part is like thinking about it. That thing was walking around and, you know, living its life, you know, hours before you're eating it at the table. And that's not many people get to experience that if you're not a hunter. You know, you don't get to you real that's uh you know, the the big movement with knowing where your food comes from. Uh I think yeah. you, I think you figured that out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To down to a T we figured it out. It was <laughs> A really, really cool experience. You know, I've done that with whitetails and turkey. Um, not yet groundhogs, although I do plan that this year. <laughs> um, so, but it was really cool to do it in, in that that environment and in that that atmosphere for that situation. That was just very cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, to you just mentioned there recently, uh, groundhogs, or as uh, I don't know if you dubbed it or some or Rick or someone dubbed it, the ground grizzly. Yeah, I love that. That that'll stick. Yeah, I that I I got to experience groundhog hunting with you this past summer and it was so much fun and one it was humbling because yeah, damn, yeah, you, things were jumping my arrows. Yeah. We lost some arrows that day. Yeah, I definitely did. And we I mean we were shooting anywhere from, you know, twelve yard shots out to seventy. <laughs> and it oh, was yeah. oh man, was that fun. So explain your obsession and the reason for, you know, hunting groundhogs before people are like, what the hell is this? Yeah. What is this? So, and it's hunting groundhogs with a bow. Um, we will specify I've at this point, I've killed around 250 groundhogs with a bow and I, I've never killed a groundhog with a gun. Um, and what's that's been in like three years, right? Yep. Yep. So I've been doing it for three years, hunting groundhogs with a bow for three years and, um, killed 250 so far. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so dumb to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it is, it's an obsession. I absolutely love it. I, by the time whitetail season is over here in Pennsylvania, I am so ready to be walking fields and woodlines on, on local Pennsylvania farms for groundhogs. Um, so the story goes that a number of years back, I um, had been competing in CrossFit and I'd come to a point for various personal reasons that I decided I wanted to pull back on that. So I had a rower, a nice concept two rower, if anyone's familiar with that, in my basement that I had bought to train for competitions. And um, with getting out of com competitive CrossFit, I decided to sell that rower. So I got... 800 bucks for it. And just starting to think, you know, what, what, what is something that I could do that I could replace my, um, my effort and my pursuit that I had in CrossFit? What, what's something that I could do that I could, um, what kind of fulfill that void? 
Exactly, fulfill that void. And truthfully, I didn't put that much thought into it. I just, one day I was like, you know what? I love the outdoors. I love to hunt. I've been hunting and fishing all my life. I, I think I want to buy a bow. So I started to look a little bit online, mentioned the idea to my dad, and he was thrilled because, you know, the more a dad sees his son get into hunting, you know, the better. You know, they love that. And um, I stopped down at our local archery shop, Bucks and Bows Archery, here in outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I just went in and, and it was the end of the workday and talked to one of the guys there for 15 minutes. And I said, you know, I'll come back and um, I'll, when there's more time and, you know, put some, some more intense looking into this. So I did, I ended up getting a bow and uh, just started shooting, just started shooting in my, ba- my backyard. Just every single day it was shooting, shooting. After a couple weeks, it was uh, July now at this time. So I bought the bow in June and I was sitting at my, my kitchen table at my dad's house where I'm at now. And I said, dad, you know, I think I'm ready to hunt. And he said, well, it's July. I, I don't know what you're going to hunt. And he started to think, and he kind of had a smirk on his face because he, he knew what it was going to entail. And he said, oh, you could, you could try hunting groundhogs with a bow, which to my knowledge, I don't think many people do that. Uh, I don't, from, from, the conversations I've had and looking around, I don't see many people doing that. (laughs) So I said, yeah, sure. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was getting into. I just went out on some farms. I had permission to, and just started walking around with my bow. And, um, I quickly realized how intensely hard it is to kill a groundhog with a bow. I mean, I didn't even get within bow range of a groundhog for like 10 straight hunts. (laughs) And uh, eventually, on my favorite farm, favorite place in the world, a little farm in Mars, Pennsylvania, one night towards the end of the evening, I was able to, as my dad would say, I was able to draw blood for the first time with a bow. And um, the challenge of it, I was just absolutely enthralled by it. I mean, it was just the coolest thing in the world to me. And I very quickly just became obsessed with it. Talk about the ultimate teaching tool or learning experience um, is hunting groundhogs with a bow. Everything from learning how to stalk, um, considering your background when when you're stalking considering is there wind that day is there not wind that day is there extra movement in the environment so i might be able to stalk a little bit closer when can i stalk when should i stay still what effect is the sunlight having on this um the groundhog hole in in relation to where it is how can i best approach it I mean, I could talk for so long about all the variables, but it's just an absolutely phenomenal teaching tool is number one, the number one benefit. Number two, it offers an opportunity to bow hunt during the months that there's not many other things to bow hunt. There are a plethora of opportunities to bow hunt groundhogs because they're on most farms and they're one of the few animals that benefits from human expansion, meaning that 
groundhogs don't typically thrive in wooded areas. So as humans um, develop fields and they plant crops and they expose greens and more suitable habitats from groundhogs, they really flourish. So there's many opportunities. And on top of that, landowners are much more likely to give you permission to hunt groundhogs than they are to hunt um, even turkeys or especially deer. You know, many hunters know that it's hard to get permission on properties for um, deer hunting. So if not, if no other reason than to get permission of properties, groundhog hunting is the way to go because, you know, what you essentially do is there's a low barrier to entry as far as getting permission to hunt, hunt groundhogs on, on a farm or on a, a property. You develop a relationship with a farmer. I try to give back to farmers as much as I can as far as baling hay. I've helped a number of farmers bale hay. I will just voluntarily go pick up trash around farms um, for farmers and just offer to do anything else I can and um, really just uh, become friends with them. I've, I've really developed some, some good friendships with these farmers. And um, that, again, opens the opportunity to hunt other things, to have land, to um, hike on, shed hunt on explore, learn about habitat, learn about wildlife. And it, it definitely develops your skill and it's truly an art to knock on someone's door, introduce yourself, explain who you are, explain what you want to do and why you want to do it. And, um, I've been so blessed here in Western Pennsylvania. Um, that I, I'm proud to say that I live in a somewhat uh rural area but i can walk out i can walk out my back door and i have free reign over about 500 acres half a dozen different farms that's just out my back door let alone driving five to ten minutes um from my house and having uh, a lot of other properties and most of that has um, been a result of getting permission to hunt groundhogs with my bow and again, developing that relationship. And then it just, uh, expands from there. So it's been, it's been really cool. And again, I've been blessed and I've put in the time, you know, a lot of people, um, have a, uh, a bad, uh, mindset about, you know, it's hard to get permission on private property and this and that sort of thing, which is true. But if you're, a respectable hunter and, um, you go about it in the right way and you, you know, you have a friendly personality and, and you approach it the right way. Um, it, it will happen if you put in the time and you knock on the door. So that's just opened up so many opportunities for me in, in addition to just it being an absolute blast to hunt these animals with a bow. And, um, and the farmers like when you shoot the groundhogs too, right? Yes. So, um, it, it definitely is a, a benefit to them too. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you know, you, you, you kill these animals and, and I don't eat them up to this point. It's the only animal I kill that I don't eat. But it's very, very important to understand that agriculture and farming is vital to our society, right? It's where we obtain a lot of our food. And these, far, these farmers are some of the hardest working people 
you'll ever meet. A lot of our listeners know that. And groundhogs are a major problem to farmers for a couple of reasons. Number one, they eat their crops. Groundhogs eat a ton. I've seen holes. I've seen holes on farms, um, like on the edge of a soybean field, and you can take a radius of 30 yards around their hole and everything will be absolutely mowed down from just the one or two or three groundhogs that live in that hole. So they eat the farmer's crops. The holes are treacherous for farm equipment because the holes disrupt the uh, support system of the ground underneath because of the excavated dirt and the, the space and the air that now occupies that layer of ground. So whether they collapse or the hole gives way, I've seen it where they flip farm equipment. Um, and then lastly, those holes can pose uh, big issues for livestock as well, where um, if an animal, a, a cow or a horse steps into those holes, they can break their leg. And in the case of a horse, if a horse breaks its leg, majority of the time that horse horse has to be put down and has to be euthanized because um, the nature of a horse and, and how much it stands, it can't function with a broken leg. So it's a, it's a very serious problem. Um, and I've hunted on a couple of horse farms. The the farm I killed my first groundhog on was a horse farm. And that, that um, landowner was thrilled to have me there to kill as many groundhogs as I could. So no, I do not eat them, and I don't like that, uh, which was my point that I'm going to try it this year because I think I owe it to the groundhog, and I don't believe <laughs> it would be that bad if cooked and prepared correctly. Um, but, you know, I don't like the fact that I don't eat them, but I do believe it is necessary to control the population of an animal that um, totally breeds and reproduces exponentially. Um, the main farm I hunt near near my house of an, uh, an awesome old farmer. This farm is, oh, we'll say 200 acres for ease. I, I would put a very strong level of confidence in saying that this farm, over the 200 acres, this farm easily has 500 groundhogs on it. <laughs> I, uh, uh, that farm itself not this past season, but two seasons ago, I killed a hundred over a hundred groundhogs on that farm alone. So, point point being that they are a problem, um, and in the farmers, from the farmers' perspective, it, it is necessary to control them, and they don't want them there. Yeah, and and so for everyone listening to this, it if you don't know Christian or anything else, he's an extremely, you know, good archer and he's not going to sit here and say this himself, but for someone that hasn't been involved in the sport for very long, I mean, very talented and he owes it a lot. I mean, he practices every day, whether he's hunting groundhogs or not, but to hunting groundhogs because of the precision needed to kill yeah. these animals. One, they're extremely tough. Two, yes. <laughs> two, they're just quick and, you yes. know, <laughs> they're, they're very hard to kill They're you, you don't think of a groundhog as a, a smart animal or having good instincts, but <laughs> if you don't believe me, when I say this, go out and try it yourself. They are extraordinarily quick. I have groundhogs regularly 
duck arrows by dropping back down their hole under 20 yards, within 20 yards, closer than 20 yards. They will duck arrows. Um, they're extraordinarily tough because the way that they've evolved the backside of a groundhog, it's, it's, um, fur and its hide and its uh, rib cage is extraordinarily thick because that is the way that most of their predators will try to or come at them from or, or kill them right because a groundhog lays or basically uh, it moves or lays on flat on its stomach so its back is exposed so whether um, a bird of prey tries to come come down and, and grab them or um, a coyote jumps on top of them or whatever it may be you really can't, it's very hard to kill them from, from, um, their backside if they were looking away. So essentially you either have to shoot them in the head or the neck or a relatively effective shot is to the chest. Um, but by and large, uh, you can compare the kill zone of a groundhog to a pear. Yeah. Pear. And I, um, you know, to hit a pear from 20 yards, not challenging, 30 yards, definitely more challenging when, um, the groundhog is, is moving. And beyond that, I mean, it's very difficult. And especially because I, I've put many, many shots on groundhogs where I've hit them in the the neck or even hit them, you know, in the side of the head or the side of the chest that if that arrow doesn't hit vitals, that groundhog's not going down. And even if you do hit vitals, our local bow shop can, speak to this comment that those groundhogs will fight to the death to get back down their hole. That's their place of security. Um, and the local bow shop knows how many arrows I purchased from, <laughs> from March to August because they truly, um, will escape down the hole with my arrows. I've had groundhogs as soon as I hit them. If you've ever seen a coyote, uh, be shot, they, they, they quickly try to nip at that spot. Groundhogs will do the same thing. Um, I've, I've had groundhogs. I remember vividly, I shot a groundhog from 30 yards. Uh, it was at the edge of a barn. The, the hole was going underneath uh, a barn. And I shot that groundhog right in like center mass, like right in its lower chest. And that groundhog flipped over on its back and within seconds of me running to it, that groundhog had chewed my gold tip in half, completely in half. They are just so tough that they, their, their will to survive, their will to live and their, their toughness, their tenacity is just, um, <laughs> totally at the top of the charts. Um, I always, when I shoot a groundhog, you know, Bo, you know this, when I shoot a groundhog, I run, I run at it. Yeah. I run with my bow in my hand. I look like a madman because <clears throat> they will, they will either get back down their hole or, um, they will chew that arrow up or whatever it might be. So I try to get to that groundhog as quick as I can. I either try to gra- grab the arrow and, you know, hold the groundhog with the arrow. Um, I also have a pair of boots that are chewed up because sometimes I'll, um, like I step on the groundhog and shoot an arrow straight down at my foot point blank to <laughs> finish him off. I've never hit my foot. My dad yells at me, but I've never hit my foot. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> the point being that, yeah, they're, they're tough animals. They're challenge, challenging animals to not only hunt, but to kill. 
last season, um, I took my girlfriend along with me for the first time she'd ever been hunting. <laughs> and God bless this girl. She's got ice in her veins because one groundhog in particular, I had to put four, four arrows in to kill this groundhog. I shot it once, it started running around. I shot it again, it was trying to run back to its hole. Shot it again, and a final time I shot it. And, and it needs to be known that, I mean, this these shots were from 10, 15 yards away, and they were in the vital organ, so to speak. They're just, yeah, incredible. That's awesome. <laughs> That's such, It's so crazy. Like, it's, it's funny to talk about, and like, especially since I experienced it with you, I think I went a couple times. And it is just so tough. Like, and, and you were like, you know, trying to help me out. Like you let me take the shots first. We'd be like, I remember one in this, this one field, uh, right down the road from your house. I think it was actually behind your dad's house and, uh, up or yeah, I think that's what it was. But anyways, it was like 70 yards across this field yeah. and I'm like, my arrows going perfect. Like it was like in slow-mo and that groundhog was in its hole before my arrow was like even halfway there. Yeah. Like, yeah incredible remember that my arrow was sticking right in the hole like and he was i remember it exactly I, it, that that spot is a hundred yards from me right now where i sit where, yeah. where I made that shot oh man yeah yeah so they're funny. uh they're amazing i one other story about an individual groundhog it's like we're talking about you know bucks like target <laughs> bucks, you know yeah. target groundhogs the guys at the bow shop were joking with me do you have a hit list yet for the groundhogs you want to kill you <laughs> um but I had uh, my first season that I did this. I, I remember I was in a field not too far from my house and 38 yard shot this groundhog standing up on its hind legs facing me. And I had stalked kept trying to keep this little hump between me and the groundhog until I couldn't get any closer. I slowly stood up groundhogs facing me. I hit that groundhog square right in the chest about two inches below his throat. So I mean a perfect shot and I run up there. Dang it. Wouldn't you know that groundhog made it back down the hole with the arrow. I come back. I come back the next day. Wouldn't you know that little bugger threw my arrow out of the hole. The <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. The arrow was laying right at, right at, right outside its hole. Kind of saying like, yeah, you didn't get me, you know? Oh, it's just crazy. Oh, that's funny, man. Yeah. That's uh. I've been I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while, and actually, to to, <laughs> to give everyone a perspective here, <coughs> excuse me, Christian and I, he was going to be my first podcast. Like you and I were supposed yeah. to record one day at your house, and then um, we ran out of time or something, and and um, and then you know with with your business and stuff going on and getting prepared for elk hunting, I was like, let's wait until after the season to you know really get the story on this and and. Uh, and because I've been wanting to talk about groundhogs ever since we hunted them yeah. together, but finally we got to, you know, link up here and, and get to talk about that. So that's, yeah, that's good. sweet, man. So let's talk a little bit about archery strong. What, so you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but what, what is it? Yeah. So archery strong is a sport specific and sports performance and sport injury approach to archery. If you look at all other sports, whether it be golf or soccer or baseball or hockey or football, whatever it is, all of these sports are now utilizing sport-specific training for the purpose of becoming better at your sport, right? So 
you can be generally fit. You can run, you can do push-ups, excellent, and you're, you're somewhat fit. Now, is doing running or push-ups going to make you better at baseball or football or archery? Yeah, probably a little bit. You could make you could make a case for saying that there's going to be some attributes you're going to um, develop that would help you in in those respective sports. But we've now come to the realization that if we focus on specificity or training specifically for the components of that respective respective sport we can really boost performance. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I have a, a long background in fitness, sports injury, and sports performance. So really where the idea came from is uh, groundhog hunting, <laughs> wouldn't you know it. Um, <laughs> I started to realize, hey, these animals are really hard to kill, number one. So I need to be a good shot and make ethical, lethal shots. And number two, I'm shooting every day, whether it's to practice, whether it's to hunt, I don't want to have issues arise because I'm shooting so much. So what can I do from a sports specific training perspective to prevent issues and injury in my shoulders, as well as improve my accuracy in archery? So I took the knowledge from my, that I have from, um, you know, my work experience and my college education and I started to just play with some things and test some things. And what I started to find is that my shoulders were feeling better than ever. I wasn't having any issues whatsoever. My accuracy was increasing because I was improving my stability in my aiming. I was improving uh, my endurance for which I could shoot longer in my practice sessions. I was more stable at longer yardages all these different variables I could improve by doing things that were specific to the muscular stability that I needed. Um, the repetitive muscular recruitment, the development of the really specific fine motor skills within the nervous system that are required to shoot a bow accurately and shoot a bow accurately with consistency. Most importantly, many good archers can shoot, um, a few arrows or a number of arrows with consistency, but you quickly fatigue, right? You start to fatigue, your form breaks down, um, your stability starts to decrease, you start to get more unstable when you shoot. And I could combat that with this specific training. So um, what I started to do is develop specific protocols for two things. Number one, relieving pain if you have pain and preventing injury if you don't want to have injury that's one side so we'll say that's the sports injury side and then the sports the sports performance side is boosting accuracy and stability and muscular endurance um, when you're shooting to to improve your shooting performance so you have that performance side and then you have that sports pain slash injury side and i put together some programs that i tested had some other archers go through them um, and now archery strong is my business that I offer those programs to prevent pain, uh, or I'm sorry, relieve pain, prevent injury and improve shooting performance through the use of archery specific training. Yeah, no, I, and 
And uh, it's it's been crazy to see because like when you started this, you and I were starting our businesses at the same time and we were going through it and you were telling me it. And I'm like, you know what? I've never heard of anybody else taking, you know, there's a lot of hunting fitness type companies right. out there now, but this was completely different. And, and I know from just, again, when I worked at the bow shop and even now knowing people, you've helped a lot of people that weren't even able to shoot a bow anymore because of, you know, shoulder pain or whatever, be able to do that and not have to pick up a crossbow or whatever else. And that's, that's really cool to be able to see, you know, your programs be put in place. And I've talked to other people that I've known that just did it from the performance side through you and, and, um, like, you know, Nick Schnur and some others that, that are from down the shop and, and have had great results. So that that yeah. speaks a lot from that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you know, all the ultimate goal with this, you know, beyond, you know, Hey, let's, let's improve your ability to, to shoot at X's or, you know, make vital shots on a white tail or whatever. Um, and beyond, uh, relieving pain to me, bow hunting has become, potentially the most exciting and valued passion that I've done in my life. Um, I've seen so many benefits from it, whether it be from how much it's refined the way I learn about things to the opportunities it's exposed me to for adventure, um, to how it's, it's refined my discipline and my commitment and my problem solving skills, all those different things leading. It's led me to awesome relationships like, you know, mine with yours, even though you make fun of me a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, bow hunting's just given me so much and I want to do everything I can to make sure that number one, other people never have bow hunting or archery taken away from them. And then number two, do whatever I can to allow people to get the most out of their archery experience that I can. And my expertise and my experience in the sports injury and sports performance world is a way that I can make sure that, like you said, someone never has to put down their bow, never has to pick up a crossbow, um, and can always enjoy archery and can always enjoy archery hunting and the adventure that it offers. Um, because again, there's just so much to be gained from it, from an archery perspective, from a relationship perspective, and from just the development of a a well-rounded, capable human being. Um, archery has just been phenomenal. I want to make sure that everyone gets to experience that in full capacity. Oh, for sure. And, and so you have programs available that people can take a look at. And as far as, um, I know you have like personalized ones that, that you build for people, correct? Yep. And for what their goals are. And then also you have some other ones that, that people can purchase online to um, go through through these. So what, what are the different types of programs that you do have? Yeah, so right now uh, we have four different things that we offer. The first and most popular one is the pain relief and injury prevention program. So that's for somebody who has pain in their neck, shoulders, or arms when they shoot archery. And it's for someone who, even if you don't have pain, it does a great job of reinforcing 
the joints and the, the muscular components that you need to shoot without injury. So basically our catchphrase is we, we want to build bulletproof archers. And so that's the first most popular program. The other popular program we have is a archery performance program that is has a little bit of injury prevention in it, but largely focuses on building the components you need to have maximum stability when you're aiming to increase your draw strength and to be able to handle your draw strength over a, a number of arrows. It's going to help you maintain your stability and maintain your muscular composure and your form and your technique over those longer shooting sessions. So that's a performance side of archery. We also have a whitetail program that mixes in a little bit of injury prevention, a little bit of uh, performance work, as well as some fun sh shooting challenges. And then lastly, like you uh, mentioned, we have the customized training programs, which can be tailored to any goal uh, that you want to have. We specialize, again, in the um, pain, injury prevention, and performance side of archery. So we write a lot of programs specific to someone's individual needs, abilities, goals with that custom training. But uh, we also have had some clients prepare for Western hunts and, and adventure hunts and mountain hunts through more like strength, specific strength and conditioning. So again, there's a lot of awesome programs out there for that. Um, and although that's not our main focus, we do offer that customized training because as great as some of those programs are, they don't always take into account what your needs are, what your abilities are. You know, can you do a pull up? Can I had a guy who couldn't even do a lunge, so we had to find ways around that. Um, also, hey, what equipment do you have? Some of these programs um, may assign you things that you're not able to do at your gym or at your house. So I always have a conversation with those people and talk to them and again, talk about what are you looking for in a program? What's your availability? How much do you want to do? What are your goals with this program? And then I can formulate a program specific to those things. So uh, we also offer that too. Awesome. And and then also on your Instagram page, so it's archery.strong. Is that what it? Yeah. On Instagram, it's archery.strong that you can find us at. Yeah. And that, that has a lot of helpful, you know, tips and everything on there. I mean, you, you're putting up almost daily, if, if not daily, um, information on there with with cool looking as far as the photos pointing the things explaining you know the the way that you're again i'm i'm not uh, knowledgeable in the the exercise side of it so my terms might be off but just the way like as far as your muscles work together and everything else to be able to do that so there's a lot of um free content out there that you're providing and then hopefully you know you find some you know great information from that and may want to check out some of his other more you know specific uh training needs online so yeah yeah so like we said it's archery.strong on instagram um, and then the website is www.archery-strong.com that you can find us at as well. That there's, uh, you can find the programs and a way to contact me through both Instagram and the website. Yep. Awesome. Well, Christian, hey, I'd really appreciate you coming on the podcast here and talking. Is there any, any final thoughts that you have on your mind that you want to get out? I would say to sum it all up, do things that are going to challenge you. Um, go on adventures. Try groundhog hunting. You'll learn a ton. <laughs> you'll you'll have a blast. You'll gain some uh, access to some farms for other 
hunting and outdoor activities. Um, and yeah, there's just, there's just so much to learn out there. And yeah, that's what I love about this podcast is that it offers another excellent resource to gain some insight on, um, things that we can all benefit from learning, whether we're brand new, like I was to this elk hunt this year, or, um, whether you've never hunted groundhogs or you've killed more groundhogs with a bow than me, contact me if that's true. Um, <laughs> Christian's highly competitive. So if you say that, it might hurt his ego a little bit and he's going to have to outdo you and he probably will. So watch what you say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome, Christian. Again, thank you very much for, you know, scheduling some time here to, to sit down and talk to me. And it's always a, always a pleasure to talk. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. Keep keep up the good work. You're doing great things over there at East Meast West Hunt. Yeah, well, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.